Welcome to 501c3 BS, Deprogramming for Organizational Growth, sponsored by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at the California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics. This season, we are busting this 10 minutes at a time with a shortened 10-minute podcast. This could be among the biggest heaping piles of bullshit in the history of our industry, yet it keeps getting passed down and propagated for generations. Why? Because this particular piece of cow patty comes wrapped in a bright, shiny box disguised as a great present. Every board member who ever sat on a board is convinced that the best way to bring money into the organization is a big, shiny fundraiser. They know this because it's what they were taught on other boards, and it's what they've always done. They are sure that it works because they have seen it work. Or at least they think they've seen it. It is time-tested and proven. Or is it? This is the same line of bullshit that teenage boys use when discussing their sexual exploits. They lie because they think it makes them look better to lie. In fundraising events, the same holds true. An organization will brag about how they cleared $100,000 on their gala. They will talk about how they want to make it bigger next year. They want to make it a bigger part of the budget and grow the organization through growing the gala. They brag about their conquests and their macho ability to get more. You feel inadequate and think, I should be more like them. I've heard this a great deal throughout my career, and every time I've had the opportunity to look at the books and check it out for myself, it's all bullshit. Here is what really is happening. The organization throws a gala every year that is successful in terms of selling tickets and getting sponsors. The board, or a committee of the board, usually think that is their big responsibility of the year. In a series of meetings, the board will ask the staff to put together a list of sponsors and a list of attendees. Then the board will ask the staff to call the list and get rid of duplicates and those who moved out of town. The board will ask the staff to send out invitations and sponsorship letters, which the board will have to approve. It takes several meetings for them to get a letter and invite that they like from the staff. The board calls their friends and gets sponsors and auction items. The board asks the staff to pick up the items and sponsorship. The staff package up the auction items. The staff produce the event with weekly meetings checking in with board committees as it gets close. Eventually, the event happens. The board is everywhere, shaking hands and making speeches while the staff work their asses off in the kitchen and auction tables and supervising volunteers. Those volunteers are usually under-trained, so the staff must redo a lot of what they do. At the end, the budget comes in. The organization received $30,000 in sponsorship, sold $40,000 in tickets, and made $30,000 from the auction and other donations. The expenses were listed as $70,000. The organization netted $30,000. But what will be reported at the next board meeting and in the newspaper is this. We had a very successful fundraising gala this year, bringing in over $100,000, a new high, thanks to our great board committee who made the whole thing happen. And there will be applause at the board meeting. But what really happened? $30,000 came in from sponsors. Who would have sponsored the organization anyway, even if there was no gala? They could have just as easily sponsored the programs. So that net was $30,000. The budget didn't include the cost of staff time. They never do. When you look back on what actually happened, you see that the staff are working on this all year with occasional check-ins of the board committee. If you included staff time in the budget, you would see that 10% of all staff salaries are going to the gala. That would add $50,000 in an organization with a half million dollar payroll. If you do that, you see the gala is actually losing $20,000 each year and taking an ornament amount of staff time away from the mission, programs, and fundraising. In my work at a cultural center, we realized this exact scenario. I told the board, if we have no gala, but work to ensure that the sponsors keep sponsoring us through programs, we can get $30,000 by doing no event at all, rather than losing $20,000 a year on the gala. 
The board was a great board, and they agreed, and we did exactly that. The next year after changing to this new model, we made money. It freed us up to spend our resources on more productive and mission-based fundraising. Eventually, the board committee missed doing an event, so we asked them to help us with a smaller event that would be not so labor-intensive. That event took two weeks to put together, cost nothing, and netted $10,000. Once we got past the bullshit, we could do extraordinary things. There are organizations out there that just won't believe this until they really analyze their own budgets and the hidden costs that are not included. I know one organization that has over $6 million annual budget who does a gala that brings in $325,000 a year, but costs $375,000 a year to produce. I asked them why they continue to do it. The answer? Because some board members really need us to do it, and it keeps us connected to certain donors. Another answer is these big events generate press, prestige, and the thought that this is a successful organization. In other words, it's a lot of show. Those donors would leave without the gala, I asked? No, I don't think so, but the board isn't willing to take that risk. That's another reason we do the same things over and over and expect a different result. I have seen organizations in the news, large, well-run international CBOs, that are also NGOs working around the world, and they boast $3 million raised at their splashy annual galas in New York or Los Angeles. I've been to a few of these, but then when you look at their books, 70% of that is expenses, sometimes more. But it's worth it for the press and the perception that they are big, important organizations with many investors. Potential clients call me, meet with me, and guess what their number one thing is to ask? How can we make more money on our gala? There's a real sense that our gala is only making 10% of our budget and we think it could do a lot more. Why do they think that? Because it seems like others are doing much better with their galas. It's a perception in our industry that galas should generate a large chunk of our income. I would say 10% is normal and about what should be expected. Your real income should be coming from the programs as earned income and grants and contracts, social enterprise, other areas. To that they scoff. What? Programs can't make money, they say. I would ask these organizations, what would happen if you did the following? You invited a sponsor to come and take a tour of your programs. You make a pitch and invite them to sponsor the programs instead of the gala. You tell them that's one less rubber chicken dinner that they have to go to and they can serve the mission directly. I'm guessing all of your sponsors will line up for that. Ours always did. Knowing your fundraising is mission-based, that's a good thing. Now your fundraising is mission-based. And you can get the board to do the part they always did, call their friends and get sponsors and auction items. But instead of having a gala, the sponsors will be handled as I just outlined, and the auction will be held online as a charity auction site, such as biddingforgood.com. You could still make $40,000 off an online auction, and staff can link the auction to the organization's social media, which helps marketing and may bring in younger bidders, which could translate to younger investors in the organization. And if you really want to throw an event, you could try putting on a silent tea. That is where you send out an invite to a gala that is a silent tea party. In the invite, you include a tea bag. You tell them, we are all too busy to attend another event with long speeches and rubbery chicken. Use this tea bag to have your own event and just send us the money. Then you can include a link to where they can see your programs. If the invite is cute enough, it could be very effective. You could also host a thank you party for volunteers as an appreciation event and ask the sponsors to sponsor that. You could host a simple barbecue or pizza party at one of the organization's key programs and take attendees on a program tour so they can really get immersed into the mission of the organization. Include an ask at the end. These kinds of events take almost no money to produce and bring in great returns because people are connecting to the mission. That is something for which you can send out a press release and try to get press to come as well. My experience is that press want to cover an actual interesting program rather than another gala. You can also figure out other fun ways throughout the year that you can connect investors to the mission. 
Make sure you are writing your annual appeal letters, taking part in giving day events given by local community foundations, and doing all the normal, great ways of fundraising that are not bullshit. Now let's look at a budget from these kinds of changes. Your $30,000 in sponsors are still there. Your $40,000 in auction is also still there, but now online, generating more marketing and investors. Most, if not all, of your event expenses are gone. Your staff expenses are gone because now everything is mission-based. If you make $10,000 for a smaller event, you will end up netting $80,000 with a very small event rather than losing $20,000 on a time-consuming gala. Smaller is better here. The next time somebody on your board says at a meeting, all we need is one big fundraiser, don't fall for that bullshit. They might as well say, we just need to dig for gold in the hills. And you are just as likely to succeed in either case. I want to thank you for taking the time with us on 501c3bs. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First 100 Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.